Today, um, I'm going to need your help today. I'm going to share our next installment of Deuteronomy from chapter 16 and 17, which is the, the portion of the book that talks about government and governance and the, the installment of different people in different particular positions. And then there's this phrase that's really central to the entire passage that I'm going to focus in on. It's actually central to this whole segment of Deuteronomy, and it's this clarion call. Um, and then what I, I'm going to do is share with you some struggles and challenges that I've had with this particular passage in how to run and govern a church and to be a voice and an advocate for justice and for rescue in the midst of some other things that we've been trying to do. So I wanted to give you a heads up. I need your help. And I'm going to point out why I need your help. It comes straight out of our tradition and out of our scriptures. And I'm going to invite you to challenge all of us to get better and to think more clearly about what these passages are calling us to. We're going through Deuteronomy just like we went through Genesis all the way through to this particular point. Because this is our history, our heritage, our story. And who we are today, how we identify ourselves today is greatly informed by who we were then. And we retell these stories and we revisit these passages so that we can be better informed for how to live out our faith. And last thing I'll say as an introduction, if we get this right, I have continually felt more and more impassioned that this could radically change our world. I don't do this work just because I like being a pastor or like leading a church or any of that stuff. I continue to do this work because what I read in our tradition um, to me is so deeply critical to our world. And we are a small, humble, wonderful, beautiful group of people that if you, if we together, and we're going to get into this actually, this passage is going to challenge us as the community to do this, it could radically change how things operate, people's lives, people's experiences, um, all of that good stuff. So that's my introduction. The title of this message is Justice, Justice You Shall Pursue. Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting in verse 18. This is the next segment after Daniel's message from last week. You shall appoint judges and officials throughout your tribes in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall render the decisions for the people. You must not distort justice. You must not show partiality, and you must not accept bribes. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Justice and only justice you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 16 starts off with the festivals. Now, if you've been around Spark for a little while, you know that the festivals have a calendar system that are, is still practiced to this day. In fact, the season that we, were, we are in right now is the season of... Sukkot. Do you remember that last week when we met at Etz Chaim, they had a structure out there. It's called a sukkah. Everybody say sukkah. sukkah. 
sukkah, sukkah time. It is, I don't know where that came from. It's sukkah is just a temporary tent. It's a dwelling place for all of us to build during this season to remind us that we were once wanderers in Egypt. And so there's very specific uh, directions for how you build it, what it's supposed to symbolize, what it's supposed to mean. For example, when you put the roof on top of the sukkah, on top of the tent, you are supposed to ensure that it is made of palm fronds or other kind of leafy things that you can actually see through. The whole point is that as you eat in it at night, you are able to look up and you see the stars and you are reminded that we, we, not our ancestors, we were wandering in the desert out under the sky before we had dwelling places. So this season and this cycle is here to do a couple things. The calendar can be very confusing for us, especially for those of us who try to study and try to follow up. There's all these festivals here and festivals there. I mean, you, some of us can barely keep up with the regular American holidays and then try to add to that Jewish holidays. I wanna share with you just a couple reasons why they are there. First of all, it's an ordering of chaos. Does anybody remember the Genesis 1 story? What is Genesis 1 about? Like fundamentally, the very first opening verses of Genesis, you've got chaos, darkness. Um, the Hebrew phrase is tohu vavohu, which sounds like tofu to me, but it's not tofu, it's tohu vavohu. And God speaks into the chaos and the darkness and, and that mess and creates order. Well, just like God did that in Genesis, the calendaring system of the systems of when you are to celebrate this festival and when you are to celebrate Sabbath, all of that pattern is supposed to mark the same kind of ordered chaos. Number two, it's to provide a rhythm to life. Number three, it's also to provide a symbol of transcendence. Every single one of these festivals that you celebrate and the rituals around them point you to something bigger. It reminds you that you are not just a mere mortal on this earth. You are a part of something grand, something cosmic. In fact, the, the decorations on the variety of things that God tells the Israelites to build and construct, specifically like the tabernacle and the sukkah, are actually representations of the stars and the moon and the sun. It's to remind you that you are part of something huge. It's a ritual of story. When, whenever you sit down for Passover, what do you do? You tell the story once again of how we were enslaved in Egypt. And you don't ever forget that is our story. And then, then it's a remembrance totally, completely of all of those things of identity. Who are you? What are you doing here? How do you understand your place in this world? Ritual, festival, celebration, all of these things. All of those things mark the days and the times and the hours and the seasons because they remind you of who you are, your relationship with the divine, the story that you've lived out. All of those festivals that are listed there you, that you are to obey, that oftentimes Christians look at and say, geez, do we have to do all these things? Really? I mean, this is a lot of work. You do, we may miss something huge that the work of doing those rituals of those festivals grounds us in an identity. Because, here's the deal, if you miss a holiday, if you don't celebrate, or something gets out of whack, then you begin to lose your footing in this world. And the best analogy that I can give you is what in the world are Christmas trees doing in Costco in September? My entire world is upended and I have no idea what I'm doing with myself right now. 
When that happens, and I know this is a silly analogy, but when that happens, something is disrupted. I'm not quite sure what season it is anymore. I mean, I'm waiting for Christmas trees to show up in Costco in July, like right after 4th of July. Now's the time to celebrate Christmas. And it's a way of expressing that there, there, is, there is no sense of identity or groundedness or sacredness of time anymore. Because when you're driven by capitalism, what's the whole point? See how much money you can make. The rituals are supposed to do the opposite. They're supposed to ground us in our identity and remind us. So that's the beginning part of chapter 16. The portion that we read is to appoint judges a governance position within the community. Because just like the seasons and the festivals are to ground us in our identity and who we are, so now government is to do the same thing. Government, the installation of prophets, priests, kings, and judges are supposed to do the same thing. They're supposed to remind us who we are, to reground us in our story and our identity. And again, if we don't understand the huge forethought and the advanced thinking that these ancient Israelites had, we might think of, like, we don't think about kings anymore. Why do we need a king? Who wants a king? Like, that, that, we, we don't live in a monarchy. Oh, and, and dare we even think about a theocracy, which has become a really bad term in our modern parlance, right? What I want to do is go back, though, and to identify when these people established these systems, they weren't just establishing governance and a new constitution and uh, different people in particular places, and they especially weren't providing a whole new hierarchy, hierarchy by which little children are believing that one day they can grow up and be king. Very much like we tell our children, if you work hard, you too can be president. The system that the ancient Israelites had was to do the same thing that the festivals did. Who are we? What are we doing here? What is our identity? How are we to live? And what is going to move us from this tribe of freed, enslaved, oppressed people to establishing a new world where that doesn't happen anymore? That's what's going on here. Now, I've already mentioned to you the three main pieces. In fact, if you look at prophet, priest, and king, you will find all sorts of sermons and teachings and graphics and all sorts of that kind of stuff because prophet, priest, and king seems to be the most predominant way of thinking about the ancient Israelite governance system, and we often use that to equate to what Jesus is and what Jesus did and who he was. He was both a prophet, a priest, and a king. Today, what I'd like to focus in on, because next week we're going to focus a little bit more on the prophet portion with Deuteronomy chapter 18. This week, I just want to focus in on the judge, because we don't hear a lot about Jesus being a judge. Now, when you hear that, we often hear about the end of the world. Jesus is going to come back and what? Judge the world. How many of you feel really good about that, by the way? Right. Judgment in our context is condemnatory. In fact, we've mistaken judgment or judging with shame and condemnation, but not in the ancient world. Listen to this. You shall appoint judges, and these people are to oversee the moral aspects of the relationships that you have with one another. Do not, don't distort this justice. Don't show partiality. Don't accept bribes. Justice 
and only justice. And in Hebrew, it doesn't have the word only. It's tzedek, tzedek. It's justice, justice. You shall pursue and run after. I don't know about you, but this particular list of the way it's constructed sounds like a pretty good deal considering how some of our particular judicial system works. For example, you're not supposed to bend or prolong justice. If there's a right thing to be done, do it quickly. Doesn't that sound familiar? And do you know people who have been a part of a judicial process that just takes forever and ever and ever. In fact, we've written it into our constitutional awareness that a speedy trial is part of what is our right. Do not favor one person over the other. If somebody happens to be rich, don't favor them over somebody who happens to be poor. Don't be inclined by persuasion. In other words, consider carefully the facts of the matter and not just who happens to be in your ear. And then one of my favorite pieces, do not accept bribes. Don't be blinded by personal gain. I mean, when you think about judgment or judging or justice, why don't we think about this first and foremost? Why do we think about condemnation and all of a sudden Jesus is going to say, your sin has condemned you, or maybe some sort of other accent that he's going to do, and send you off to eternal damnation? Here's the thing. This phrase, you must not accept bribes, has the phrase right after this that gives us the highlight of what a judge is supposed to do and supposed to be. For a bribe blinds the eye of the wise, and it subverts the cause of those who are in the right. The ultimate goal and essence and ethic of the installment of judges in Israel is to ensure that the way in which we morally behave with one another is based upon what is right and what is wise and what is good and what is proper. Based upon everything previous, that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, that we are all brothers and sisters, that we are all to treat one another with that same humanity, judges now are installed as a way of making sure that that happens and to do it with wisdom. Because ethics... Morality can be complicated. And this was my summary in the email this week. This is not just a system. And this is, this is huge for us. This is not just a system of government. This is how an ethic, this is an ethic for how to govern. Don't be slow. Do not be persuaded. Do not be bribed. Do not let people who have particular economic positions of power to persuade you for what should be right. That is injustice. So, judges, in this particular framework of what Deuteronomy is doing, is installing a piece of governance to make sure that people are chosen for their wisdom. Not because they might happen to have the highest degrees, or they have gamed the system, or somehow they've manipulated. They are to be there because they are wise. They have thought carefully about the laws of God, how they are to be interpreted, and how they are to be deployed. Therefore, judges are supposed to be, here's the key thing, responsible with that wisdom. This is not a position of power. This is a position of responsibility. And not a position of power in the sense that I am now the judge, I now have the say. No, judges are to be commissioned based upon your wisdom. And then you are to pursue justice with that wisdom.
Wisdom is supposed to be at the base of this entire thing. And I will tell you that, man, do we need some of that today. Joshua Berman, in his brilliant book, Created Equal, which is about how the Bible broke with ancient political thought to create an egalitarian society. It's really amazing, but he says this. The judiciary, however, is chosen exclusively by human agents. The appointment of judges is mandated with the sole purpose of achieving the execution of justice, rather than the assignment of office to perpetuate the standing of a noble class. And the reason why that's important is because back in that day, not in our day, but back in that day, people who had elite power and control would make their way to positions of power, right? I mean, we're unfamiliar with that. But back then, <laughs> people who had an in got power and were able to rule. And what Deuteronomy is saying, and by the way, anytime the Bible says don't do this, it means they were doing that. When Deuteronomy says, don't do this, it is to destroy the kind of system that favors the elite. It's to destroy the kind of system that favors those who have an in. It's to destroy the kind of system that says, power is now held in the hands of a small minority and not in the hands of the people. And so you get to rise up through that hierarchy because you happen to be on that inside. The noble class in the ancient world held power. That's how you became a king, a priest, a judge. That's how you became these things. And what Deuteronomy is doing is undercutting that entire system and saying, no, that is not how justice is to be done. Again, I've already made reference to it. It is striking to me that we are really living in a world that is not too terribly different from the ancient world. It's, it's crazy. Our technology has evolved phenomenally, but our morality and our psychology and the way in which we govern ourselves, the way in which we think about pride and selfishness really hasn't changed at all. Can you think of examples within even our own justice department or our judiciary or our law enforcement where justice is not the goal, but power? and hierarchy, and elitism is the goal. 11 years ago, uh, this gentleman, uh, Mark Chiavero, I practiced so hard before. Somebody say it. Chiavarello. Okay, what he said. Was caught in a scandal with another judge in which these judges were taking bribes by privately owned juvenile detention prisons for the judge to mete out harsh sentences for teenagers and adolescents so that they could go to these prisons. And from some of the reports, there's always controversy and there's a documentary and all that kind of stuff. From some of these reports, these, these judges made over $2 million by giving harsh sentences. And some of these were like fighting in school or throwing a piece of meat or cursing at their parent, and they would get six, 10 years in this juvenile detention center. Why? Because they were taking a bribe. They were getting paid money to supplement a system and power and greed. This is, according to Deuteronomy, not justice. It is anti-justice. It's completely unjust. So, 
When we think of judging, and when we think of this particular passage in the installment of prophet, priest, king, and judge, it is focused in on this one thing. This is why it is said twice there, justice, justice, you shall pursue. Run after that. Don't be persuaded. It is very tempting. The human heart could dissuade you. The human heart could lead you astray. Money could seduce you. Power could change you. You, There's all sorts of distractions in this world. Do not, do not succumb to influence, persuasion, bribery. Don't do that. That is not justice. And this verse This word pursue, by the way, for those of you who know Psalm 23, that um, goodness and mercy will follow me, it's the same word follow, and this is the video that I like to use for follow, because it's actually not follow. The word is to chase after, run after, pursue with all of your might, have a singular focus, and don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. I'm talking here. Don't be distracted. (laughs) Don't be distracted. Chase, pursue after justice. (laughs) What I love about this video is that, because sheep are dumb, right, and we're all supposed to be sheep, right, in the Bible, is that not every sheep is pursuing, right? And slowly the group begins to pursue together. So there's something analogous in my mind to if the judges can do this, the installation of those people can pursue that with a singular focus, that kind of justice in this world, then what kind of influence could that have on the rest of us? Which is actually very relevant for what's coming next. So the first thing, justice, justice, you shall pursue. And the second thing is you. You. Not the judge. You. Notice this phraseology and the setup here. You shall appoint judges. Got it. Who's the you? The people of Israel. You shall observe these festivals. Who's that? The people of Israel. So when you shall appoint judges, who's the you? Us. We are the you. The same you. You should not distort justice. The same you. You must not show partiality. The same you. You must not accept bribes. The same you, you shall pursue justice. The repetition of this phrase, you, is an indicator that it is not the judge's sole responsibility to pursue justice. It is the community's responsibility. And this is a radical shift in our thinking. This is part of what Joshua Berman writes about in his book, is that prior to this moment in history, The way hierarchies and governances worked is that the king, the priest, the judge, those are the people that they were responsible for meeting out all of this system. And what uh, what Deuteronomy does is shifts all of that and says, you are going to install those people, but then it is your responsibility to make sure that you are pursuing justice so that the person who is now representing you is doing the same justice that you are doing. This, my friends, is power distributed, and it's a brilliant, it's a radical shift. Prior to this moment, 
Power is centralized. If you have the position, you are the person responsible. There's another shift where power is decentralized, and that's you will get prophet, priest, and king, right? Prior to this, you have one person, they're in charge of everything. Now, it's distributed power. Well, you have people who have pockets of power here, and pockets of power here, and pockets of power here. And what happens, uh, sorry, decentralized, what happens in this Deuteronomy passage is a radical shift even further. It is not now simply decentralized. It is evenly distributed. You are not exempt from the responsibility to pursue justice. If you are a part of any community, if you are a part of any organization, if you're a part of any church, it is not your alleviation to the people who are leading that organization, leading that country, leading that institution to do the right thing. No, it is your responsibility. Do you see that? You, you, you appoint judges, then you don't take bribes, then you pursue justice, then you make sure that you chase after that justice. In other words, the judge is just simply a representative of the people. And it is the people who are supposed to rise up and say, this is what is just, and this is what is right, and this is what we are to pursue. Back to Joshua Berman. Moses emphasized that in spite of his stature and authority, the right way to rule is by way of discussion and consensus between the ruler and the ruled. Leadership, according to Deuteronomy, even for a monarch, should be executed within a collective framework. Oh, I love this. Even as representatives effect the appointment of judges, the ultimate authority and responsibility rests on the people, on you. Everyone is responsible. I was having lunch with Bob this week, and Bob was asking me some wonderful questions about Spark. One of those questions was about me and about how I live in this space of being a pastor and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's complicated. If you want to talk to me, I'm, I'm more than happy to share about how I think about that and the complicated things that go on in my mind. Although I will warn you, there's complicated things that go on in my mind. <laughs> but one of the things I caught myself saying um, is, you know, this has been a really amazing journey for me, Spark has. In my previous iteration of church and pastoring and ministering, um, I felt, I really did feel this weight of responsibility for the people. It was huge. And if I got something wrong, well, then it was clearly on my shoulders to do recompense or whatever it was. And I caught myself saying, what's different? What is different here? And I couldn't really, up to that particular point, I don't know if I had thought about it much, but what, is, what I feel is I absolutely have certain responsibilities within the context of our community. It's, it's, you know, it's things that you see, it's the website, it's all that kind of stuff. I, we, and we all have responsibilities. But the weight and the burden and the responsibility of what kind of community this is is not on my shoulders or Danielle's shoulders. The, I'm, I'm that person, right? And we have collected together, and I mean this sincerely, we have, by God's amazing grace, collected together a phenomenally wise, thoughtful, learned, passionate, 
group of people that inform my walk, my ministry, every single day, every single week. And when I get together with the pastors or when I get together with um, my small group or and just hang out, I, I, I am amazed and blessed and honored that I get to be in community with such brilliant people. And I, I'm not saying that to just kind of boost you up. I really mean that. Like, I'm, I'm amazed. Like, how in the world did I get so blessed in this? Everyone is responsible. This is, that's me. Maybe Danielle's, well, def- Danielle's definitely in front of me. So, but say, <laughs> I'm there. And there's Pastor Marcus, and there's Pastor Tom, and there's Omer, and there's Bob and Shally, and there's Darren and Lee. And I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? This is, the, this is what's so beautiful about this Deuteronomy passage and the place that I find myself in. So number one, justice, justice. That's what you were pursuing. Don't be distracted. And here's the thing, justice, justice, all of you shall pursue. Every single one of us. All of us together pursue this together. Which brings me to my dilemma of which, now do you understand why I need you? Okay. That was our logo seven years ago. We've come a long way from whatever font that was. In the very beginning of Spark, one of the things that we platformed that was really critical and important to us is that we live in the tension. Anyone want you to imagine a rubber band? And and we started off with things like faith and science, uh, Jewish history and study and Christianity, all that stuff. And there are some people and things that, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And we were in a place where we would wrestle and we would hear different views, and we would welcome different views. That was the whole point, is that we wanted to be, I wanted to be in a safe place where I could ask any question I wanted. I wanted to question whether or not God existed. I wanted to question whether or not evolution really works with Genesis. I wanted to question whether or not climate change is really, really significant and important to our story. I mean, I just can't stop. I wanted to question about quantum mechanics, and how are we to think about our identity in light of quantum mechanics? I told you it's dangerous up here. (laughs) So one of the things that happened at the very beginning is that we started to create this culture that we welcome all of that. Does anybody have any question? Yeah, bring it. We are welcome to all of that. That is still true today. That is absolutely still true today. But this passage, justice, justice, you shall pursue. Do not be persuaded do not be blinded by it. It's something I've been wrestling with for the last couple years about this culture that we have. I don't know if there's space in my mind for a debate about racism. When justice, justice, you shall pursue. I don't know if there's any debate, like how much do I welcome debate when it comes to sexual identity and discrimination. When people are being denied basic human rights. Do we welcome both views? I mean, this is what we did back in March, right? With Justin Lee and Preston Sprinkle regarding the theology around sexuality. We still do that. But I am, rest- I am seriously wrestling, my friends. Justice, justice you shall pursue. At what particular point do you welcome when it comes to gender e- inequality? And our beautiful daughters that we are raising. 
Is there debate? Is there room for that kind of, I believe this? Well, and, and there's some things going on in, on the internet where very prominent people in evangelical circles are talking about women and the places that they should or should not be in the church. Some of you might be aware of some of that. Is there room for debate? When justice, justice you shall pursue. And when it comes to climate change, I got, a, I got a lot of hits. I shouldn't say a lot of hits. I got one big hit. I got a couple hits. I got some hits. Anyway. <laughs> and knowing that my behavior is adding to the suffering of people around the world, is there a debate? So this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling that we're having all these debates, and we're discussing all these tensions. But at some particular point, if we keep adding tension and tension and tension, something's going to give. Do you understand? Am I? Yeah. Are you with me? Do you understand? I absolutely love discussion, debate, hearing both sides, wanting to hear. Tell me what you think. You don't believe the same thing? Absolutely. Let's, let's discuss this. But for me, there's a tension in welcoming that and justice, justice you shall pursue. And we sang a song for the last three weeks, how much longer? How much longer till we sing a song where there is no more racial injustice, no more gender inequality or sexual discrimination or economic injustice? Like how much longer do we have to go until we sing that song? It's complicated for me and for Spark, because reconciliation is one of our values. And one of the ways to do that is to welcome opposing voices, right? So, my friends, I am inviting you. This is my invitation and my welcome to you. It's justice, justice, all of you. I am not the sole responsible person here. You have a Bible just as much as I have a Bible. You have the internet just as much as I have the internet. You can go and read everything that I'm reading and study everything that I'm studying. We are equals in this. My question for you, for us, for me, what is that justice that we are to pursue in light and in context of wanting to continue to be reconcilers and to welcome people who do not believe the same things we believe. That's really important to me. That's really important. And justice, justice. I must pursue that. So I'm going to invite Junior and the team to come back up, and we will continue and close with our communion and a closing song. The song that we're going to sing is The Kingdom is Yours. And I just love, this is one of my favorite songs, and I love this song because this is what I want to say to every single person that walks through our doors. And we still have people that join our community, come into our circles, who are hurt by other churches, who are um, disenfranchised by other theologies, who are not welcome in other spaces, and I want them to walk through our doors and say, the kingdom is yours. This belongs to you. You are absolutely welcome here and this family will embrace you, regardless of what you believe, because we believe you are made in the image of God in his likeness, and you make our community and our congregation better because of it. So that's what I want to say to people. And at the same time, as a community and as somebody who is trying to follow Jesus as best as I can, I must pursue justice. 
Justice is such a critical clarion call. It's what the prophets are all about. It's what the kings are responsible for. It's what the priests, when they prepare their cultic activities at the temple, it is to remind us what justice looks like, what injustice looks like when we do not pursue justice. There's all this symbolism in all this. And I am pleading, asking, encouraging, inviting all of you to join me in that conversation. It's obviously not something we're going to settle. It's a tension that we were going to manage and navigate. But I want to let you know that I am so desperately grateful for all of your voices. And I am so desperately thankful that you are people who pursue that same justice. And I am so desperately thankful that you are the kind of people who are thoughtful towards that tension and will help this community be better at navigating all of those pathways and all of those avenues. And I look forward to us getting better and better and better at being the people that God has called us to be. And given just that one example of the judge who meted out injustice on these adolescents, there is still, do I need to remind us, so much injustice in this world? So much. Which is part of the reason why we're doing our events that are coming up in November. So we're going to pursue this, and I'm inviting you to help, help us do that well. We're going to take communion. The elements are down here, and we're going to invite you as we sing to come as we do every single week. Every single one of you are welcome here. And the table is a symbolic way of saying that we will sit down and eat together and proclaim this same Jesus who pursued that kind of justice in this world. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As we sing, my friends, the table is set, the body and the blood of Christ shed and broken for you. Friends, thank you for being our church. Thank you for being the kind of people who pursue justice. Thank you for being the kind of people who live in the tension who welcome the stranger, who love the downtrodden. Thank you for pursuing justice, justice in your life. May you go in peace in this same pursuit. And not only may you chase after it, but you, may you grab hold of it. Embrace it and welcome others with it. May you not be dissuaded by personal gain, by bribery, by other persuasion. May you not be distracted with power, prestige, ego, pride, anything else that gets in the way of pursuing that which is right. And may we together as a community pursue it together. In his name. Amen.